0: Hey, welcome. Uh, what I want to begin with is a problem most of us have, it's not a problem, uh, I guess called a situation, will be called Rosh Hashanah Davening. And it's very long, I'm sure you noticed. The main part of Rosh Hashanah Davening is Musaf. And I noticed on the pamphlet there's a lot of courses going on about Alenu and different parts of Musaf. I didn't realize that my topic was similar, so I want to pick a certain topic which I think won't be covered in the other topics. What I want to do is to understand what's happening in the Mahsar and use Chumash to appreciate what we say and help us understand how we daven. If you had to pick a theme in our prayers on Rosh Hashanah, what theme is most prominent, just from what you remember? Understand my question? Is there a theme in davening that comes up a lot in Rosh Hashanah? Ma'achil yeah. means what? God's kingdom. Okay, that's for sure there somewhere. Any other thing comes up? What do you mean by dependence on God? Yeah, but 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 what makes what I want to get at is the fact that God is king, is every day of the year, our dependence on God. I want to begin with an analogy to try to appreciate what Rosh Hashanah, how Rosh Hashanah works. I want to go to a different month. There's two New Years, which we're familiar with. There's Nisan, the spring, and there's the fall. When should the year begin? Where did the logical place the year begin, in the spring or the fall? I'm going to answer my question with another question. When should the day begin? At sunset or sunrise? You know what the answer is to that. You can go either way. There's logic to sunrise, logic to sunset. The solar year, there's logic to beginning it with the spring equinox and with the autumn equinox. It can start in September, it can start in March. Both are logical. And we have two New Years. But our Jewish calendar makes a big deal about each New Year. And listen to the parallel between the first month and the seventh month. The first month, we make a big deal about Rosh Chodesh. Chodesh is said Lechem. In the seventh month, we make a big deal about the first day of the month, which we call Rosh Hashanah. When we came out of Egypt, was there something special about the tenth day of the month? What happened? On the tenth day of the month, they took the Seh. And we got ready for coming out of Egypt. And the tenth day of the month of Tishrei, we have Yom Kippur. Then we have a seven-day holiday from the 15th to the 21st, the 22nd. I always get mixed up there. I think it's the... the uh, the, uh, and one is to call, one we call Chag HaMatzot very similar after that 7th day holiday we have count 7 weeks to the Atzeret what we call Shavuot and here after the 7th day holiday we just go right to Atzeret on the 8th day which is called shmini Atzeret but they're very parallel um, each month has a theme what's the theme of, of uh, Nisan? what's the mega theme of Nisan? <laughs> uh, to remembering the exodus that's clear What I want to show you, just like that, there's a mega-theme for all the Tishrei holidays, and that's what you call God's kingdom. But what does it mean by God's kingdom? Each concept is something that we have a daily mitzvah, there's a daily commandment, that each daily commandment has a kickoff holiday, an opening day ceremony. For example, everyone remembers from the Seder. Every Jew is commanded to remember the Exodus every evening and every morning. Remember that at the Seder? We quote Benzoma early on. We haven't fallen asleep yet. We're still, we're getting hungry, but we're still paying attention. And we mentioned there that every Jew has to remember every day, in the evening, and in the morning, in the morning and evening, to remember the Exodus. In a very similar manner, every Jew, twice a day, has to do what? Say Shema. And we sort of do the both mitzvot together. What I want to explain explain, is when we say Shema every day, the mega-theme of that is the kickoff holiday of, of Rosh Hashanah, and later on even the whole month of Tishrei. So what you were saying when, I, when you said the topic is God's kingdom, that's true every day. But what's special about Rosh Hashanah? But I want to get at, it's special every day, but to make a big deal about it, the beginning of the year I have a kickoff holiday. And that will explain most of our prayers, which we'll discuss very soon, and we'll give a couple of source sheets. Um, if someone asks you, why do we say Shema? What's the classic answer? What are we saying when we say Shema? In English, tell me. We'll get to the Hebrew in a minute. Yeah. Accepting God as king. It's like a statement of faith. Could, could you consider a statement of faith? Something every Jew has to believe in, that God's king. Is that true for non-Jews as well? If it was up to us, would we want every non-Jew to accept God's kingdom as well? Okay. So what makes Shema unique to the Jewish people? Have you ever heard that Shema is a belief in, stating your belief in one God? Affirming your belief? It's very, very popular, that approach. That's not the way the rabbis explain it. I want to make one clear distinction, which will explain the rest of this year. There's a big difference in believing that God exists and he's a king and understanding that you're chosen to serve him. You see how simple it is? The theme that God exists, there is one God and he controls everything, that's a universal universal theme. In Hebrew, it's known as Ani Hashem. That God exists and he controls everything and he has expectations for men. That theme is universal. The problem is most people don't get it. What did God do in Biblical history? God entered a relationship with one nation in order that all the nations will recognize God towards that purpose. But towards that purpose, he separated them and gave them a special set of laws to represent them, which Chumbesh calls, Ani Hashem Elokechem, I'm Hashem your boss, which is exactly the first commandment, if you know the Ten Commandments. The enduring understanding of Rosh Hashanah is not that God is king, not only is king, but he's our boss, and we're chosen to serve him. When that's understood, that affects how you act and how you live your life. There's a big difference knowing that, that someone runs a company and, there's a, and then knowing that you work for that CEO. I can believe that, give me the name of a company, or take, take the president. Right? There's the government. Everyone believes he's a the president. There's a big difference someone who recognizes he's a president as opposed to someone who's working for the White House and knows the administration Reputation is built on how he behaves and how he does his job. That understanding that we as a Jewish nation represent God and his reputation is on the line, that's what the rabbis said, Kabbalat o machut shamayim. Let me explain why. Everyone bumbled that word, didn't they? What does it mean? Kabbalah means to accept. O is a yoke. Machut shamayim, the kingdom of heaven. The word yoke is important because who wears a yoke? And ox, wears the yoke. Is it a designer yoke? It's, it's to make him look good? Animals don't wear clothing. So... No, it's, it's not just to... It's not to show... It's not to show... It's not like a change to show... The yoke enables the farmer... Not only to control him, but to... To enable the transfer of his work power to accomplish what he wants to do. The yoke enables the farmer to utilize the power of the ox. Or ox power. Or be it horse power. Got the idea? Willingly accepting the yoke means the ox wants to work for its boss. And that's why the word yoke is so important. It's not stating my belief in God. It's my understanding that I'm working for him and enjoying the job and identifying with the job. No. Instead of me just saying that, I want to show you from Davening. Where's the, um, let's find the source sheets here today. Where's the... Oh, here it is. Okay. Um, what, if you had to take the entire prayer service in the Maksar, what section of the prayer service would you say is like primary, other than saying Shema? But where, what, what, when we pray, what's the main section of prayer? What's that called? Shmon Esri, or the Amidah. Everyone agree? No. Every Shmon Esri has a format. It begins with three blessings of praise, ends with blessings of thank you, and asking for peace. And how do we conclude it? I mean, that's the beginning and the end. In the middle is the the main point. We have our request. How many blessings are there in the middle, in regular Shmonesrei? There's one. Mosef has three. But there's one primary blessing, that every time we dive in Shmonesrei, what I want to do is study that blessing, how it begins and how it ends. And then we'll see how how this all fits into this this idea. Every time we dive in Shmonesrei in Rosh Hashanah, it's the exact same ending. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, these are extras. And on Shabbat, every Shmonesa is a little bit different. Even though the ending is the same. But there's but on Rosh Hashanah, everyone's pretty much the same. I'm gonna pass out a page now. Here yeah, pass this around. Pass this around. Take the there's sides with big letters in English, and there's a the small side with tiny little Hebrew. And don't let that scare you. That's something to take home. Yeah. Pass this around here's pass more that way. After the first three blessings, it always begins with I'm sure it rings a bell to everyone. In fact, not only on Rosh Hashanah we say that every Yom Tov, every every uh, every Yom Tov, every time it's not Shabbat. I'm pretty sure, and Rashi held that you do even Yetavachartano even on Shabbat. He doesn't hold from Yismael Moshe, but that's a whole argument among the early siddurim. Everyone have the page? Okay, it's coming. This should be... If they're short, let me know, but it should be enough. That's fine. There's another... Oh, here we go. That's good. That's the second one. Everyone have the page? Tell me if this rings a bell. At tabach Mikol Amim. We all know those. We're going to go back to that soon. In between, we have a lot of uh, a couple of other short little prayers, and I want to talk about what's called the Hatima, the closing prayer, where we get to the blessing. And let's pay attention to the words. Elokeinu, Elokeinu means we always turn to God, God and God of our fathers. Here's our request. What do we want God to do? We're asking God to become king with your with your glory. Elevate yourself. Um, what's it say there? Over the entire land. Hofa Badar appear with your great strength on. And now listen carefully. every living thing that moves should know that you're the reason why it's moving. yitzur. everything created, should know that you're the one who made him. And now listen, Bayomer kosher no Every living thing. Neshama. Remember when God makes man and gan Eden? That's where the word neshama comes in. Every living soul should say, Hashem Elokei Yisrael Melech. What's that mean, Hashem Elokei Yisrael Melech? Hashem, who is the God of Israel. Is that true or not? Is He the God of Israel or He's the God of all mankind? He's the God of all mankind, isn't He? So what it mean He's the God of Israel? The God that Israel was talking about. The Jewish nation is commanded to talk about God. They, what's called Koray B'Shem Hashem. We'll see the theme soon. There's a theme that Am Yisrael talks about God 24-7. We don't stop talking about Him. Call it a marketing scheme if you want. God wants all mankind to recognize God. He picks one nation that's always going to talk about Him 24-7. And from a marketing point of view, they'll bring the concept of one God to mankind. Now, the problem is, if this nation is marketing this concept of God, and they're the ones talking about him all the time, because of that job, how do they have to act? Above and beyond. Therefore, that nation gets a special set of laws, which we call Torah. And that's what we call also Kedusha. God separates one nation, elevates them for a goal, to make God's name known. Because they represent God, they need two types of laws. Laws that govern their day-to-day behavior, which has to be exemplary, because we expect more from them, because like, you'd expect more from the rabbi. Clergy are always expected to act above and beyond. And that nation for themselves needs constant reminders that they're God's people. You need a weekly reminder, you need a yearly reminder, you need a daily reminder. You need to remember on a regular basis who you're working for and, and, and why you're chosen. Plus, you need to act in a proper manner. And that will cover pretty much all the mitzvot. That's ritual and regular laws. Now, if that nation that talks about God all the time is obnoxious, conniving, cheating all the time, that's not going to make God look good, correct? On the other hand, if if the nation is acting wonderfully but don't talk about God, we also haven't accomplished anything. The two together is what makes pretty much those are the two main ingredients of Judaism. So, what are we hoping for? That all the nations will say the God that the Jewish people are talking about, He's the King, and He runs, uh, His kingdom is everywhere, controls everything. How does it take place? Look at the next line. Make us holy or separate us by doing your mitzvot. Our portion should be by keeping the Torah. Help us with our prosperity, with all your good, and we should be happy when you come and. Save us. Purify us so that when we do serve you, we're not phony. Do it in a truthful way. Because it's very easy to say you're representing God and taking on the mantle, but really doing it for your own good or not being sincere in what you're doing. Okay, I tell him you're the true God and your words are true. And then we bless God, the king of all, all the land. And who separate on and this day to remember what's called Yom HaSikaron. Got the idea? So what I want to get across is, in this, in this closing blessing, which we say every Shmoness, that's the theme, the main theme of Rosh Hashanah. Not the fact that God is king, but the fact that we were chosen to serve him, and our hope that it will work. Look at the beginning prayer, which introduces this, and to appreciate it, I want to ask, I think we've done this before, but two basic questions, which we always have when we study. There's one question, why were we chosen? And there's another question, why were we chosen? We ever do that before? Listen to the difference. Ask any Jew, any person, why were we chosen? What's the classic answer? Or why was Avram chosen? He worshipped one, one God. You heard that? What else did he do? He broke, remember he, broke the, he broke the idols or something like that. There's a lot of... He, went, he did something and therefore got chosen. Khmish doesn't say that. in, And that wasn't my question. That was answering the question... Why did God pick Avram and not somebody else? But there's a bigger question. Why did God pick Avram? Meaning, why is anyone being chosen in the first place? And that's the big question. Did Avram find... I'm sorry. Did God find in Avram something special and therefore I want to make a nation out of him? Or did God want a nation and therefore picked Avram of Inu to start the nation? Did it begin with a need? Does God have... Is there a divine need for a nation and in order to begin that nation, to clone a nation... We begin with the seed of Avraham Avinu until we finally we have some nation building to do and that's going to be the seed. Or with things just moving along in mankind and all of a sudden God found this wonderful guy, Avram Avinu, and decides to bless him and all of his children with yichus. And that's it. What story does Chumash tell us? Obviously the first one. There's three or four stories in Sefer Brashid, where God's very upset with mankind. He's not a happy deity, you'd like to say. He decides, I hate to do something about that. And because of, his, of, his, of his, constant, his constantly being upset with mankind's behavior, even after the flood, in the Tower of Babel, therefore God enters this covenant with Avram Avinu to become the nation. So there's one question towards what reason did God choose any nation? And then once he picked that nation, why us over anybody else? you know what the answer Chomish gives? We say, You chose us to do what? represent you. Everyone knows the famous medrash that God went from nation to nation to ask him if they want the Torah? Now, how did you understand that? That everyone could have been chosen, but we only went to said yes? Or he went and offered the job to everybody, but he still had to choose. You understand the difference? Did God give the choice that all mankind would receive the Torah? Or like saying if every day is Shabbat, no no day is Shabbat. Shabbat? Or does God want one nation and the question which nation he's going to pick? So the answer Chumash gives is God wants one nation. Why us over anybody else? Qumish gives a simple answer. The same reason um, a, a married couple decides to get married. There's a lot of people to choose from, but out of love, you pick this one over somebody else. Uh, you chose us from all the nations, a haftotan over tzitabano. It's all the source we'll see later on in the Sefer Tzibari. You elevated us from all the nations. That's explaining why we were chosen over somebody else. Uh, you. you Sanctify this with your commandments. And now we have the bigger question. Why did God pick anybody? Not why Avram, but why, anyone's, why a nation chosen in Rome? You brought us closer to you in order to serve you. And now the big line. Your name and reputation is resting upon us. Got the idea? And that's the purpose of chosenness. And therefore, the main theme of Rosh Hashanah, that God chose a nation to serve him. And by our behavior... That makes God's name known. That's going to be the key theme in Rosh Hashanah Davening. You see in the beginning and the end, it's real simple. And the main idea is not that we were chosen, but that, not that God exists, but that we're chosen to serve Him. Actually, like, yeah? Chose, uh, <laughs> Chumash doesn't, out of nowhere, He's chosen. No, no obvious reason. Now, And the reason for that, to like to give, is that if Chumash gave a reason for Avram being chosen, <coughs> then if that reason goes away, the chosenness goes away. Uh, Avram wasn't chosen for what he was, he's chosen for what he needs to be. As opposed, The exact opposite is Noach. Noach is chosen for what he was, he finishes his job, and that's it. Avram is chosen for what he needs to be. Noach was, uh, um, Noach was, a, was a tzaddik. Et Elohim italech Noach. He walked with God, he was Tamim. Avram is commanded... Avram's command of what needs to be, what needs to do. He's chosen for a destiny. Not for the not because of the past. Yeah. Now it only makes sense that he must have been something special about him. Got that? And therefore all the Midrashim feel what's special about him. And as the book continues, we see his we see his greatness developing. Question. But he was chosen already. Yep. Was, you get a glimpse, was, you can get an idea later on why they chose him. The yeah. same thing when you're... Yeah. And then it's a, you see later why he was chosen. There must have been something in his character. It wasn't a random choice. And you see in his development, there was something, there's some potential. Oh yeah, in that story he says, he didn't say what he saw is what, he, what he's destined to do. But that's not what he did, that's what he's chosen to do. It's not that thing cause that's what thing because that's what he did. God says that's what he will do. We'll see those verses if we get a chance. Back are on the source sheet, I think. Now, if I want to take that theme, let's take that theme and use it to explain pretty much the holidays. Just oversimplifying. Before a nation can accept God as their boss, first they have to believe in God. What event does God do in Jewish history to make it crystal clear to a nation that there is a God? What does God do... First of all, to make it crystal clear that God does exist. That's coming out of Egypt, and that's the the plagues and all the miracles coming out of Egypt. When Amitav leaves Egypt, they know, You know that God exists. You're not his nation yet, that's part of your destiny, but first I have to know he's my nation. Now that I know that he exists, then I can talk about a covenant. But I can't make a covenant until we're ready. God takes us through the desert, six, seven weeks, until we're ready. What holiday comes next? Not the holiday of Ani Hashem, but the holiday of Ani Hashem Elokechem, where we, now He's our boss. We get the Ten Commandments, the First Commandment, I'm your boss. Then we were supposed to go to Israel and be that nation. Ideally, if that nation is following the Ten Commandments, all mankind will recognize God. What holiday is that? That's Rosh Hashanah. That's the next logical step. After we accept that, the next step should be everyone to recognize God. What's the problem? We fail all the time, don't we? And what should happen? We should be fired. What do we need to do for the next 10 days? Okay. We ask Shuvah and say, we'll try better next time. We ask God to have mercy on us, give us another try. We have Yom Kippur. And let's say Yom Kippur works, in a virtual manner, we have this universal celebration where all the nations come to Jerusalem and celebrate God's kingdom when it works and that's Sukkot. Is the idea? That's why the 70 nations come on Sukkot. That's the international holiday. Pesach is, we're a separate nation. We're, we're beginning. And Shavuot, we reach the high point. Um, and the last holiday is the staff party. It's all over. And we have our staff party at the end. So those are the, those are the key elements of uh, how they raise the holidays. Now, what I explained so far is a the theme in Chumash, which is pretty well known, and how it relates to a daily mitzvah, which has a once a year, um, you know, we make a big deal about it. Now the question is, why this time of year? If I take the theme of coming out of Egypt, that's, the year, that's when we came out of Egypt. That's when God made himself known. And then we remember we have to be sensitized by that experience. Other than the fact it's another new year, what is it in the seventh month that makes it a time to remember God's kingdom? Is there something in the air? Is that the question? Yeah? It's not spring, now it's autumn. But that's, that's Sukkot. Agreed. Sukkot is, is, a, is a harvest holiday. That makes sense. But Rosh Hashanah is not a harvest holiday. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to give you another source that you can use your Chumashim also. I want to take a look and see how Chumash presents the holidays. We have it now in big letters. I'd rather you see your Chumash inside because I'd rather see the context. But if you like big letters in English translation from the JPS. But If you have the Chumash with you, open up to the first time we hear Rosh Hashanah. What I want to do, is I want to show you how Chumash presents the laws of Rosh Hashanah. We're going to play this game called Etz-a-Sketch. Remember that game, Etz-a-Sketch? We're we're going to forget everything we learned before, and pretend we saw this for the first time. In the book of Shemot, we have the holidays, the three pilgrimage holidays. We don't have Rosh Hashanah. The first time Rosh Hashanah is mentioned is going to be in chapter 23 in Vayikra. In the JPS, what page is it? 260? Yeah. Okay. Take a look in Perichab Gimel. In Va'ikra. Have it? Page 260? And notice, in the beginning of chapter 23, we begin the whole set of holidays. We start, we mentioned Shabbat, we have Pesach, Chagamatzot, seven days. Then we count seven weeks. And then we get to verse 23. It's easy. Remember 2323. 23. The other holidays we saw before. Now we're going to get something new. How does it begin? Notice there's a new Parsha as well. Yeah, read out loud. Who's reading? Someone wanted to read? Want to read? Okay, that's the page. That's the source that we have here. God motion Moshe as follows. Talbani's throne. Listen carefully. It doesn't say on the first day of the seventh month. We're going to begin a set of holidays of the seventh month. In the seventh month, now on the first day of the month. What do we do? We have to have a Shabbaton, which means a day of rest. Not Shabbat, but a Shabbaton. Not a regular Shabbat, but a special day of rest. We don't do work. And what's the holiday about? Zikron Torah Mikro Kodesh. Zikron Torah. What's that mean? If you only had this Pesach, what would you do? What would you remember? You'd remember a trua as is a, is a trumpet sounding. A zikron is to remember. What are you supposed to do? It's, it's, it's cryptic and ambiguous. What else do you do? You can't do any work because it's a national holiday. And you bring a offering to God. Remember what offering you bring? What offering do we bring to God? Yeah, but what, which animals do we bring? If I want to find which animals we bring, we have to go to Parsha Pinchas. Remember those? We talk about them in Davening. You bring it's a, it's a bigger Qurban, There's one one par, an ayo, seven kvasim, La lachatat. Ring a bell. If I have time, we'll talk about where they're. Do we ever discuss where they're from? So we'll take a little break uh, because we just mentioned this here. All the holidays have what's called a korban musaf. That's discussing musaf. Musaf is extra korban. What's the daily? What's the daily? Offering in the mikdash every day. The, the daily korban is? It's a keves. Remember a keves in the morning? A lamb in the morning, a lamb in the evening? Why a lamb? A lamb, that's the default animal. That's a normal animal. If they bring a lamb, that's not a question. If you're going to bring an animal, a korban, that's livestock. That's the classic. In addition to that, on Shabbat, we bring two, a double. Because Shabbat is double, that makes sense. And why the daily Korban? We bring one in the Boker, one in the Erev. What story in Chumash does that remind you of? Something in the Boker and something in the Erev? What's it say in creation? By Erev, by Boker. And that, to remember that God created. Why would someone doubt God uh, in the beginning at sunrise or sunset? Because what's it look like to a normal person? That there's two gods. There's the sun god and the moon god. And they're switching... Remember, there's There's a thing, that's the fourth day of creation. To let you know that there's a God above them, so we make a big deal about it on the, at the critical time when remember, remember how Ravim. Remember we start Marv? Yotzer at, at, at a critical time, that's when we have. That's why the main Time of the Daven is the, right after sunset or right after right after sunrise. Now. A um, keves is normal. Then we bring a par. We bring one par, an aisle, um, one par, one aisle, seven kfasim, and one sir, achata. We'll do this real quick. I'm going to show you how cute it is. What I want to get at, I want you to appreciate Musaf. And the main part of Musaf is every Muftaf we is remembering, is mentioning, we say we wish we could come and build a temple and pray, but we can't, so we say it instead. What I want to suggest is these animals only have meaning if you understand their source in Sefer Bereshit. I brought an example from the... Um, this is, I'll start with the easiest one. Why bring an ayo for a, a burnt offering, for an olah? These are all korbanot ola. Is there a story in Sefer Bereshit about an ayo for an olah? That's the Akedah. In fact, we read that on Rosh Hashanah. What did we learn from the Akedah? That's a shir. There's no doubt there's a message in the Akedah story about man's relationship with God, about what Sacrifice means man's willingness to dedicate himself to God. Whatever the message of the Akedah story is, which you can argue, that's what you're supposed to think about when you bring the Isle. How about seven Kvasim? Is there a story about seven Kvasim in, uh, in Bereshit? In In When did we read that story? First day of Rosh Hashanah. Didn't you read the first? This is the second day of Rosh Hashanah, the Isle, the seven Kvasim is the first day for those who don't remember, there's a treaty between Avram and Abimelech and the head of his army, where they, Avram rebukes Abimelech for stealing, and they work out a working agreement. And now we have this classic situation, almost a motif, where the Jewish nation, now represented by Avram Vinu in the micro, is involved with the community around him, with a foreign king, with another nation, with the head of his army, who has a whole society. And Avram is going to be a light to that nation, guiding them. And that covenant that God makes with them, that Avram makes with Avimelech, is closed with seven kvasim. This is the easiest. The Selah Khatat. Everyone knows where that comes from. We talk about it on Yom Kippur. That's the story of Yosef and his brothers. Remember what the brothers did? They did what they did was terrible, because they thought it was okay to hate. They had a good reason for hating their brother. Because there's always a good reason to hate another Jew. And... Uh, it takes them a while, to so they've learned their lesson. Whatever lesson they learned from their thinking it's okay to hate somebody else and not accept them, but recognizing people are different, etc., um, they finally learned that lesson. When it's over, remember, they, they admit their guilt and they realize what they did wrong, that whole process of tshuva. Not, not to mention the deceit, and trying to deceive their father in the story. So when you bring a Khatat, whatever lesson you're supposed to learn from the story of Yosef and his brothers, you remember with the sirlachatat. Uh, this is the lesson from Avram Avinu, and that's why we make such a big deal about our on Yom Kippur, when we bring this there all the way inside, and the other lazel. And that's why, remember the pewter on Yom Kippur, about the ten, uh, the ten martyrs? Yeah. How it all begins? If we were never punished for for the selling of Yosef, the rabbis are up to ser, they're catching on. Now, the only thing we left is the par, but that's the easiest. Um, where, where, where does the nation bring these sacrifices? In the temple, in the Mikdash or the Mishkan or the Mikdash the Mishkan if you know your chumash, is a micro of Mount Sinai we take Mount Sinai we never leave Mount Sinai we perpetuate it and we turn all the key elements of Mount Sinai to the Mikdash and later the Mikdash turns into the Shul the idea of the Torah being given from the Aron the, the giving of the Torah the covenant gathering whenever the nation gathers we're reaffirming our covenant in Mount Sinai the first time we made a covenant in Mount Sinai when we said was there food or not? Was it bring your own lunch or was, it, or, was it, or, was it, or was it was it, national food? Remember what it was? They brought parim. They brought, it was a national gathering. They brought in chapter 24. You Take a look later on in Shemot. 24-7 is the covenant, but right beforehand, they bring parim. They bring, uh, and that's the, the national korban that they bring. So that reminds us of the covenant in Mount Sinai as a nation, because we gather as a nation in the Mikdash. The nation brings the korban tibur. We have the ayod, the kfasim, and the seer khatat We mention them in davening. Ideally, we should bring them. But if you understand their meaning and what they were supposed to do to somebody, the, the, the thoughts that should accompany that when you actually offer the animal, if you understand those same thoughts when you say it, what do the rabbi say? It's equivalent, what's called umshama parim Fatenu saying the words and understanding them is equivalent to actually bringing the korban and you save a lot of blood. But you can get to the same... There, what I'm getting at is, if you understand your chumash, bumbling these psukim about the carbonot can be very meaningful, because there's a lot to learn from them. To do that, you have to know your chumash you have to know the connection between musaf and chumash. That was one of the goals of the shir, remember to understand musaf. That's every musaf, not just the rosh hashanah musaf. Uh, one other little detail: um, musaf. I mean, rosh hashanah is also rosh chodesh. Did you know that? By definition, it's rosh chodesh. And in, in, in davening and in chumash, it says. You don't only bring the Korban of Rosh Hashanah, you also bring the Korban of, of Rosh Chodesh. And it's in your davening, you mentioned it, little side point, but something you should be aware of. Okay, now we'll get back to our, our big thing. We're back now to Chomesh. And what does tell us? The first day of the seventh month, make a Shabbaton, a day of rest, Zichron trua, to remember the trua. If you had it, well, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to remember? It's cryptic, agreed? And then we have Yom Kippur, the next holiday, and then Sukkot, Shemini Yetzirah, and we're over. There's one other mention of Rosh Hashanah in Parshat Pinchas. It's it's so simple, it's not even on the source sheet. In chapter 29, in Sefer Bamidbar, there you have the calendar of all these korbanot to bring. You have the whole table of what you bring. It's very tedious. Call it boring. Holiday by holiday, date by date, what we bring how many animals, and what we bring for Korban Mustaf? And what's Rosh Hashanah called there? Take a quick look if you want, in chapter 29. What's Rosh Hashanah called? On the first day of the seventh month, what do you bring? What do you have? Yom Chura. You make a Yom Chura. What's that mean? What are you supposed to do? Yeah. To understand that, we have to go to um, the next... Actually, I'm sorry, the source was on our source sheet. Chapter 29 was right there. Sorry about that. What's special about the seventh month, and what's this Yom Truah? Nowadays, if you want to buy a chauffeur, where do you go to? You go to a Judaica store, don't you? In the time of the Bible, you wouldn't buy a chauffeur in a Judaica store. Where would you buy a chauffeur? What? Not from the butcher shop, either. You'd go to an army surplus store. Right? The, the the way now we have you know internet and we have um, you know, all these fancy communication systems that need electricity. Then they had a nice little simple one called a chauffeur. Every commander in the army had a chauffeur. Oh. I want to read something very short. A famous source, the have. Open up the book of Yehoshuah, chapter thirty-three. I think this verse in Yehoshuah is the key to to understanding. Um, I think. Let me just get one more. Oh, I have it right here. Yehoshuah thirty-three. I'm sure you've never seen that before. Correct? No one ever learns Yechazko. Real simple Hebrew. It's called the Vuatat Sofer. All the things of Rosh Hashanah are right here. Chapter 33 in Yechazko. What page is it in your JPS? 1229. The beginning. I'm sorry, I hear me. I say Yechazko? Yechazko 33 does it begin? Ben Adam, that's always in Ben Adam. Tell your people, tell them a story. Should there be a land that he brings sword? It means there's a war about to break out. The neighboring country said there's a threat of a war. When there's a threat of a war, what does the nation or community need, community need to do? You need to prepare for war. And you have to have a watchman ready to warn. Um, they point one person who's in charge of being the watchman. If he sees from his watch post, he sees an army approaching. What's his job to do? He has to blow the shofar. Got it? Right there. It's his job to warn the people. Let's say a person heard the shofar blowing and was supposed to go to the mikvat. To the mikfat the is a uh, the shelter. Or he's supposed to, you know, whatever he's supposed to do, or run away. He wasn't careful. And the enemy comes with the sword and takes him. He's responsible for his own sin. Because the tsofeh did his job. He heard the shofar blowing, but he wasn't careful. The mo boye, who needs to have an afshom milad? Okay. But the zofeki yeh yiret acher of ba velotak ab shofar ba amnon nizar ba tov acher vetikach me'em nafesh hub avonon nekach v'damom biyeh ha zofeh dorosh. But let's say the that the person on the outlook, the guard, didn't blow the shofar, then he's responsible for what the people um, for what happens later to the people. He says, you, I appointed you, Yechezkel, to be their guard, their person on the outlook, the watchman. And you have to warn the people what's about to happen. And the rest you can figure out from Yechezkel. Got the idea? And therefore we see, we take the analogy, that in real life, blowing a chauffeur means your life is on the line. Be careful. For the fun of it, go to chapter 34. This is also in a later version of Shemuel Esrei. Tell me if you've heard this before. Perak chapter 34. Vayi Ben Adam Give this vision about the shepherds of Israel. L'orim Hashem. He says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel. He says, you've, He's yelling at the shepherds, the leaders, that you've done a poor job watching your sheep. There's a, a lot of shepherds. We're compared now to the leaders of the people. They're doing a poor job watching their sheep. Um... And God's really angry with that leadership because they're misleading the people it has to do with the false prophets at the time. God's going to say, I've had it with the shepherds. He says, I'm going to come and take over. Like a big CEO of a company he's had it with the middle management and says, I'm firing all the middle management and I'm going to get the company started again on my own. Um, we'll skip to verse 10. Um, this is my word to the shepherds. I'm going to request my, my sheep back from their hands. I'm not going to let them guard my sheep anymore. You won't shepherd them anymore. I'm going to take care of them. You guys are, middle management is fired. Listen carefully. I'm going to go myself and take care of my sheep and check each one. Just like what? Ring a bell? Yeah. Right. Just like the just like the cow, the shepherd watches his uh, his his, edith, his flock. Okay. Just like a good shepherd takes care of every single sheep, take care of its needs, has to feed them, water them, help them, bandage them whatever necessary, that's how God's gonna come now and take care of his people. Yeah. Where's that from in Rosh Hashanah Daphne? in the Sanato- in Nasanatokeh, remember? Remember right before everyone was Ninsanatoke if they made a story. But where do you get the words from? Whoever wrote that, there's a famous story about who wrote it. Whoever wrote it knew there are Got that? And now we knew Yekeskel, but why this analogy? Because it's right next door to T'quiat Shofar. You follow? We said that that's, that builds up to Tikat Shofar, doesn't it? We do it in Machu'yot. I want you to appreciate in Davening, in most there's my point I'm making over and over again, if you know your chumash and navi, you can really appreciate what, what made it to the sitter. Um, both the sukim we quote and the compositions that you have later on. So, so what do we have now? Now we know that shofar blowing has an effect on people. And in ancient times, a shofar was used as a warning to tell people war is coming. It was also used by the enemy, uh, by, the, by an army, to give... Uh, to give to give commands. There's a famous story you probably remember. One of the shoftim, his name was Gidon. You've heard of Gidon? Gidon, you've heard of him? He was a, he was a good shofei. Good he was faced with a, a big problem. In the Jezreel Valley, I'm sure you've been there before, near, um, near Megiddo, by the Geboah, uh, by Har Tavor over there. There's a big wide plain called Emi Kithor lots of produce. The Jewish people would plant their crops. Comes harvest season, what would the, all the people, Benekedim, the, the Midianim, all the people from the Middle East, they just come and swarm like locusts and eat up all of our crops, and we had nothing to eat. We couldn't, make, we couldn't survive, and it was getting worse and worse every year. God challenges Gidon to do the job, and he has his famous battle. The problem is they're totally outnumbered, totally outnumbered. So they get all, this, all the men together, remember? a couple thousand come, and God says, you have too many. And we widow down to 300 people. Why does he don't do that? He takes the 300 people, there's military strategy here. He takes the 300 men, who are very agile. What they do is they go behind enemy lines. They go right into the hill next to a fula called Givat In the middle of Emek Israel, you might remember a fula. There's a hill right next to a called nowadays, a Fula elite. It's called Givat He goes on top with 300 men. In the middle of the night, they sneak in behind enemy lines. And then at midnight, in the middle of the night, at the same time, three columns, 100 men each, walk down the mountain, each one holding a lantern and each one blowing shofar, but they do it all at the same time. In the middle of the night, everyone's sleeping in the enemy camp. Thousands, tens of hundreds of thousands of people. What do they see? In the middle of their camp, they see an organized army marching. If they hear 300 shofro, that means there's 300 battalions. It's not 300 soldiers. That means there's hundreds of, there's tens of thousands of soldiers. And they're already in the middle of our camp. And they're right next to us already. And they're walking, and they're marching you know, in perfect order. Which, how do they interpret that? Right, we're finished. And they start running away. There's pandemonium. And that's how Gido wins the big battle. There's... Great military strategy. In fact, they teach that story in Israeli officer training, how a small army with good training and good thinking and planning can defeat big enemies. That's guided Israel army you know, officer training and the army's approach to, uh, to its enemies ever since the beginning of the state, even before the state. Now, why is that important for us? We see from there that when you hear a shofar blowing, what's that mean? War is imminent, your life is on the line. Now watch what happens in Chumash. What did Chumash tell us to do on the Beginning of the seventh month, we're told to blow a chauffeur, to blow a truah, and to remember something. To solve the problem, we're going to skip source C. We're going to go right to source... skip source C. We'll get back to that later on. We're going to go right to the next source. I don't know, third. the third. To flip the page over, it's about chapter 10. Bamidbar chapter 10, you can look at the original inside if you want. There's a commandment. Amitra is about to leave Mount Sinai on the way to the land of Israel. We have the army already. We count up all the soldiers. And God commands Moshe to make a, uh, two trumpets called Chatzot's which will have a double purpose. It's because we're about to travel, sometimes there's a group meeting. All the officers have to meet. All the leaders have to meet. If you want to signal to everybody, they don't have SMS yet, how are you going to tell everybody to come? there's a certain note you blow, it's called a tkiah, a straight note, and then everyone would gather together to get the battle plans ready. When it's time to move on and travel and begin to march, you blow a trua, And the details are in chapter 10. After we brought that commandment, which was a one-time commandment for the desert, Chumash, in a parenthetical manner, tells you a law for all time. Patsuk 10. Listen carefully. Should there be a war in your land, after you conquer the land and settle down in the future, should there be a war in your land, should there be an enemy coming to oppress you? What's that mean? What do you need to do? Blow the, the trumpets. A truah. A truah is a up and down note. Even to this day, an all-clear sign in civil defense, an all-clear sign is a t'kiah, it's a straight, that's like a AC, I mean DC, and a danger, like a warning, like a... Um, like when there's a, um, what call it? An ambulance or a police. It's going up and down, up and down, down. Remember? Up. It's an oscillating sound. So a truah universally is understood. There's danger. And kiyas, things are safe. So what do you do? Whenever there's an enemy coming, what do you need to do? You need to blow the shofar. Not when the enemy comes, but when? Before the enemy comes. The enemy is about to blow the shofar on their own. What's Chumich tell you to do? If there is a state of war and you're afraid a war is going to break out and you have to put your sofer, like Yichetzkel said, even before the army comes in attacks, you have to practice. What do you practice? You blow shofar beforehand and, and what are you sort of imitating? You're making a virtual feeling of war. Why? Again, What will you do by hearing the shofar? You'll remember or be remembered by God. And then he'll save you from his enemies. In other words, the second you know your life is on the line, you change your behavior. Ask any psychologist or just from anyone who's been in life-threatening situations. When you know that your life is on the line, and anything can happen in a minute, and enemies attacking, who knows what's going to be next. Your life is on the line. You're focusing on survival. And then, remember, there's no atheist in the foxhole. Before it happens, what do you do? Go through the motions to remember sort of to practice how to act when the, when the time comes, so that if you can prove to God you're worthy, you'll, He'll remember you and you'll remember Him. And you, if you can convince God that you're worthy of being saved, then He'll save you. Now, how do you convince God that you're worthy of being saved? You have to be sincere and tell God that if you save me through this, I'll be dedicated to you and indebted. Okay. On the flip side, when you have a happy holiday, or an Rosh Chodesh, then you blow a t'kiyah, not a tshurah, and also, you remember God not only in times of war, but also in times of happiness. So you shouldn't get. You have to remember God when things are bad, and remember God when things are good. That's true. Tzniyot. Followed by Ani Ashem we learn all the, um, all the um, the three parts of Esrei of are from here. Look in Patsikut again. V'yom The source is Mesecha um, Brochot, D'afla Lametbet, Tractate Brochot, thirty two a. On your happy days, it says Which word here tells you shofrot? Utkatem. That's, that's shofrot". Okay? Which word is zikaronot? Zikaron. Where's malchiot? Look, look, at the Gemara exactly. Because what's it mean? That's the first commandment, I'm your boss. Not, I'm God. They know he's God. The first commandment is to understand I'm your boss. Now, you know why that's the first commandment? I should have mentioned, it should be obvious. Before we get to Ten Commandments, there's a, God suggests, or makes a proposal of a covenant. Before we get to Ten Commandments, Amistar enters the covenant and saying, we're willing to serve you. God says, do you want to be my people? I'm willing to be your God, or do you want to work for me? He makes a job proposal. We say yes, and after we say yes, the first, the first term of the covenant is, I'm your boss. No. And the second one is, you can't work for anybody else. No moonlighting. And if you do, you're in big trouble. That's the first two commandments. No. Um, I want to bring another example of um, one more example of how blowing shofar is a sign that your life is on the line. So we start from Chumash, but I will see a better one from the Navi It's enough to take the Sonia from chapter 1, if you can look inside, but here are the nice big words. It says, At the time when I'm going to come and try to save you or punish you, I'm going to go and check Yerushalayim with candles. You might be familiar with that pasik, You know what you learn from that pasik? There's a lot we learn from this Pasek, that when you do you use it with a, with a candle. Because we're not just looking for hummets, we're looking for first, first, we have to do spring cleaning of our soul as well. God's going to look, going through your who are the people who don't believe in God's providence? Who thinks that, don't, don't believe in don't believe in divine retribution. Then he tells them, the day of God's coming, who's going to come and punish those who deserve. The day this Day of God's coming, and it's going to be very difficult. Yom Evraha, the day that's a day of wrath. Yom Tsaram Tsuka, Yom Shoah M'shoah, the word Shoah comes from here. Yom Choshech Vafel, Yom Anam Verse 15 is a description of a terrible day. All synonyms of this is a really day of wrath, of trouble, of disaster, of desolation, darkness, gloominess, etc. Look at the next line. Yom Shofaru What What's that mean? That's not a holiday. But if you say it's a Yom Shofar, a Yom Tura, that means there's a war going on. Al Arim Al on the fortified cities. And that means when people hear a shofar blowing, instinctively, it causes fear. And um, almost later on, we'll bring one last source there. <inaudible> it says If someone blows a shofar, for surely what will happen? People get scared, get ready, and therefore if God gives a message, surely they should listen. And that's the idea. Now let's go back and see what happens. What does Chumash tell us to do? In the beginning of the seventh month, we dedicate a day of trua, Yom Shorah Yelechem. But what's the purpose of this Yom Trua? We blow Shofar, but there's no war going on in order to, to, zicharon, to, be, to remember and to be remembered. So we blow Shofar to remember that God is King and we saw the idea of retribution, like you mentioned. That um, you know, God controls everything. And our fate is in His hands. And now we have left one question. I understand that we're doing, why, why blowing shofar reminds us that our life is in God's hands. But, but now we have the question, why in the seventh month? To appreciate that, we have to go back to Parshat Amor. And look, in general, what are the special laws in Parshat about? We have holidays all over Chumash. What is the focus? Where are the special laws in Parshat Amor? For example, um, Chag Matzot is a repeat. But there's a special law between Chag Matzot and Chag Matzot and later on Shavuot that goes into detail in chapter 23. You know what law that is? We count it for seven weeks. It's called the Omer. The detailed law that's unique to Parshat Amor, to Vayikra 23, is the laws of the Omer, which relates to what aspect of the land of Israel? The agriculture, the grain harvest, the growth of the grain. We'll skip Rosh short Kippur for a minute. We get to Sukkot. What's the main What's the special law in Sukkot? We have what's called the Abraminim lulav The, Minim, the Minim. That's only in Parshat Tamor. Bar preis kapot parve And all has to do with um, again with agriculture. And that's how There's there's no doubt the laws in Parshat Tamor relate to the solar calendar and agricultural year. On those holidays, we're thanking God for the harvest. First for the grain harvest in Shavuot, and then for the um, fruit harvest in the fall, in the autumn. How does Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur relate to that? The best way to understand it is the, uh, pretty much what happens, we'll see what happens on Sukkot, because Sukkot is a double holiday. The Shalosh Galim are looking are looking backward, meaning we receive from God and we have to thank Him for our harvest. There's a harvest holiday, a grain harvest, and fruit harvest. What I want to suggest is that the, the holidays of Chodesh Hashri, Rosh Hashanah, and Kippur, we we'll see in Shemini Yatsaret, are looking forward. What are we anticipating? What's about to happen? How do things grow? The harvest we get last year comes from what we planted. But if there was no rain, we have nothing. If there's no rain, nothing will grow. In the land of Israel, when does the rainy season begin? It's been that way for since time immemorial. It doesn't rain in the summer. Ever you listen to the, the weather forecast, all summer is easy. Hot, hotter, or hot. That's it. But there's no rain. Never rains. You don't have, have to worry about rain. You have to worry about heat. How do things grow? It rains only in the winter. It has to rain enough in the winter to get through the next year. And therefore, life isn't so easy in the land of Israel. It's, everything's dependent on, on the rain. The aquifer, how much it fills up, and the land, how much water it gets. Most years, the rain begins around October, November, in December, those are the heavy rain months. And then, hopefully, later in the winter, by Pesach time, there's no more rain. And the early rains are so important, they have a special name. You know what they're, na- you know what they're called? The early rain. One's called Yoreh. Yil- you know them by heart. There's Yoreh Yil- and Malkosh. like we have names for hurricanes. When the phenomena of nature get names. They call the wind Mariah. You might have learned that song growing up. There, there are names for phenomena of nature because they seem to have their own power. And they control your life. In the land of Israel, the outcome of the, f- of the year to come is going to be dependent on the rain that falls in October, November. Got that? What do we do? What did ancient man think? How do you make sure there's rain? What do you do to make sure there's rain? Who controls the rain? Right? The rain god. He's got a name. He's called Baal. And the, f- and the fertility god is called Asherah. The-, the analogies are simple. It can be later. It can be Thor. It can be a, a lightning god. But every mythology has a rain god. And there should be. That's what it looks like. Someone's controlling the rain. What do I need to do to get rain? Tell me, Rabbi. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I just want rain. I'll, cover, I'll listen to 20 different opinions. I'm going to cover my bases. I want to make sure there's rain. Along comes Chumash and says, no. Who controls the rain? There's one god who controls all these powers. This, listen how Chumash tells that story. Now go back to the first page I gave you. And the source in chapter 11 in Devarim, it pays the seat in your Chumash as well, because you'll see the context. Moshe Rabbeinu in chapter 11 is giving a speech. Um, see what it says there? We'll see the context soon. Right now we can use the source sheet. Later we'll see the context in Chumash. Uh, we'll see it inside. Chapter 11 on the source sheet, on the bottom of the first page. Devarim chapter 11, verse 10. Pasekiyod. The land that you're going now to inherit. What is it? It's not like Egypt. Is that good or bad? It's not like Egypt. So what is it like? Um, is Egypt good or bad? There's millions of people that have been, to this day. Like 40, 50 million people in Egypt. A lot less. Why? To survive, you need water. And the best thing you could have you have a constant supply of water, it's like Gan Eden. In fact, Chumash compares, we'll see in a minute, compares Egypt to Gan Eden. There's a constant source of water. If there's so much water, how do you, how do you uh, water your fields? In Egypt, how do you water your fields? Yeah. If, you're, if you remember the Pesach story, Chumash leavening was the specialty of Egypt. Why was it their specialty? because they had lots of grain. There's a musical about it. It it was the breadbasket of the Middle East. What made it the breadbasket? The source of water. Constant water, you can grow grain. But you're not growing rice. When you have rice, what do you do? You can flood the fields. For grain, you need water, but not too much water. How do you control the amount of water coming from the Nile? You know what they used to do? You might have learned that. They make irrigation ditches. And how do you control the irrigation ditches? You have a faucet. But they didn't have faucets back then, so it was a very low tech method. So what do you do? You kick the dirt. You have an irrigation ditch, you kick the dirt away and kick the dirt back on when you want to close it. Nice, simple. And every morning they'd go, the farmers would go and kick the dirt and open up the ditches. Listen to what Chumash says The land that you're coming to is not like Egypt. The land you left. You'd plant your fields. You'd plant your how would you water your field? With your foot. What you mean with your foot? You understand? You would kick away the ditch. The land that you're going to see is what? It's a land of hills and valleys. Harim of Kot. Where does it get the water from? It comes from the rain. Rashi says, therefore the land of Israel is better. Why? Rashi says, in Israel you can sleep in and God waters the field for you. In Egypt you have to get up every morning to open the faucet. Everyone else disagrees. Because... Um, if it does rain, then maybe it's better, but you're taking a big risk. Taking you know risk management. If you had a, if, it, if you needed an insurance, would you rather be in Egypt, where there's a constant supply of water, or are you can take the risk of living being dependent on the rain? What's special about the land of Israel? It needs rain, and and you need rain for your survival. Where does the rain come from? <speaking in Hebrew> this is the land that God looks after. <speaking in Hebrew> When is the hand of God? In the land? From when? From the beginning of the year to the end of the year. What year are we talking about? We're talking about the agricultural year. And therefore, what's the beginning of the year? The only time, this is the only time you have Rosh Hashanah in Chumash. What's Rosh Hashanah? The beginning of the rainy season. In other words, we're talking about the rainy season, and the beginning of the year is when the rainy season begins. I never learned meteorology. What What do you call that? What forecasters learned. I never studied that, but I can give you a forecast of the weather five minutes from now. Correct? And even take an expert in that field couldn't have an idea what's going to be a month from now. Agreed? Everything is always, memory. it's the three-day forecast, four-day forecast. You don't need a weatherman for for a ten-minute forecast, even a one-hour forecast. You don't need a weatherman for a... You might have one, but it's not going to help you. It's like, you know, his guess like your guess. What's going to be in a month from now? We're expecting the rainy season. And what are we declaring? That the fate of the rainy season is in the hands of God. And he has to decide. But he doesn't decide a minute before he decides. You no know, weeks before. And if it doesn't rain, there's all these laws. that Etani talks about If it doesn't rain, ooh. We, we have fast days. In fact, we have it just like Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. on on, uh, on those fast days. Mesechet Ta'nit has the details. What we do, what Chumash is doing is something ingenious. What's Chumash telling us to do? A month before the rainy season. Like we know like something's coming, our life is on the line. What's going to determine the outcome of this upcoming agricultural year? What's going to determine who's going to die and who's going to live? From famine or from thirst? And if there's not enough food, then that leads to war. Remember in Sanatokev? In in nature, who's going to determine the outcome of this coming year? The rain. And therefore, who determines who's going to live and who's going to die? The rain. An ancient man put all their hope in the rain. Go to all the museums, you see all the rain gods, and the fertility gods. And you had to placate those gods. Along comes Chumash and tells him, I'll tell you a secret, it's not very nice, but remember the sin of Baal Poor? Remember Baal Poor? Baal was a rain god? What sin did the Jews do with that? What kind of sin was that? Might have been X-rated. Did you read that in the Bible? Remember they went after the women of Midian? The 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 ancients, they believed in this rain god, but you gotta get the rain god on your side. And you want to excite the rain god. The rain god has a temple. What do you do to get the rain god excited to give rain? You go to his temple, okay, and you have what's called a kadisha. You have a harlot in the temple. And if humans it's like early pornography, if you want to get if you want to get the the rain got excited, you go to his temple, and you have you have adultery or adultery or whatever you call that in the temple, and that's going to get the gods excited. Now, what a great way to get people to come to shul! <laughs> <laughs> it, it worked. It worked. That's exactly the chet and that's what Chumash is fighting tooth and nail, because it, it makes sense. You follow? Makes sense, because ancient man thought that gods are like, they're act like humans. We say humans have to be like God. But they thought that gods were like humans, and you can control them or get on the better side. Now, back to what's happening. I want to make sure that we have a healthy year. What do I declare a month before the rainy season? In fact, I have a whole month of declaring. I have a whole set of holidays. And what am I stating? My faith, that the fate of this year... Is in the hands of God. But look at the next line. Go open up your Chumash now. Look at the next line in Chumash after this line. That's why I purposely didn't put on the source sheet. Because the next line you know my heart. Open up, go back to Parakiyad Aleph and Dvarim. After these three psukim are over, which says that God's. Look again what it says. Hashem ba. What's that mean, Enneashem 398. And 398 in your JPS. What's it mean, hashem ba. God's eyes. Does this God have eyes? So you can say it's uh, what do you call it, anthropomorphism. Why is an eye called an eye? What's the Hebrew word for an eye? An iron. Why is an eye called an iron? What else, if you know from Israel it's called an iron? You ever go to engedi? with an iron. Yeah. Why, why is a mayan is a source of water? Is the eye a source of liquid? Look in Ishayau. Remember mi ten, uh, Eni micordima? It's a, and that's why the word ayin is like a mayan. There's a beautiful word play here. Enei Hashem el-kechama. That's a source of water. Enei, like ma'ayan. Got, got the plain words? It's God's providence. is looking after us. But at the same time, it's the word ayin, which means a source of water like mayan. So God is looking over us through the... Now, who would want to live in a land like this that's dependent on God for rain? If you want... If you want a relationship with God, it's great. If you don't want a relationship with God, then go back to Egypt. Now, look at the next line in Chumash. What page was it again? Yeah. How come the next line looks so familiar? Because that's the second part of Kriyachma. What's it say? If you follow my laws, what will I do? I give you rain at the right time. If you don't follow my laws, you see that? Then I'm going to stop the rain. So we're not only stating our belief that the fate of the year is in God's hands, and this is going to be the key to davening? Now Not only that it's up to God, but God decides that based on our national behavior. So if you understand that, it's not enough just to praise God and say your belief in God. It's your understanding how God works and knowing that if you want it to reign, it's not enough just to say that God controls it. It's not just to recognize that he's king. You have to recognize that it's a function of your deeds. If you understand that, what do you gain by prayer? You improve your deeds. It's the most basic concept of davening. You follow the idea? That's why davening has to be transformative on on the person. And that's the main idea that comes across. Once you understand, not only that God is God and controls the rain, but His control of the reign is a function of your deeds, then you take upon yourself to be good, and God promises you, you do a good job working for me, I'll take care of you. Do a bad job working for me, I'll have to punish you. When you understand that, if you understand what you're saying in tefillah, then you take upon yourself to be a better person, a better Jew, and a better servant of God. So that's the... Um, so what does what Chumash do now? Chumash now is telling us in the seventh month, in anticipation of the rainy season, treat the upcoming rainy season like a war is about to break out. Artificially create a national gathering, a community or national gathering, where you create this feeling, this atmosphere that your life is on the line, because your life is on the line, a month from now. Your national existence is on the line. And dedicate that time to remembering not only that God's king, but that you represent him, and you work for him. And the outcome of the year is based on your deeds. Oh. Once we're building shofar, we are, there's two things we do with the shofar, which is truah and This whole fear element is, is the idea of, of, you know, your life is on the line. That's the trua. But at the same time, what do you do in ancient times when you want to declare someone's king, you blow a tikiah, don't you? Or even tikiah and t'rua. You would blow shofar to coronate the king. You see, there's two things. There's what you need to remember about your relationship with God. That's the, that's the fear aspect. And then there's the outgoing aspect, telling everyone else that he's king. That's the, the trua. When, when you hear lots of noise, remember the story with adonijah um, All of a sudden you hear tons of shofar blowing and a big deal. What happened? Oh, adonijah was king. Remember the idea? When you hear a lot of shofar blowing and a big commotion, that's the way you coronate and inaugurate a king. That's, you know, that's classic. And therefore, what we're doing at the same time in Rosh Hashanah, we, on our shofar blowing, on the one hand, as the element of making God king and telling that to the nations, Hashem Allah. At the same time, we remember that our fate is in His hands and it's also part of this agricultural time of the year. And like usual, Chumash combines together our historical element, the idea of wars, and the natural of nature and the rain. Remember, all the holidays have a historical side to it and an agricultural side to it. We're coming out of Egypt. It's a spring holiday and also our national redemption, the beginning of our nation. So th- those are the different sides of, um, th- those are the biblical themes that explain Rosh Hashanah. Now, we're in chapter 11, right? In the barim. Go back to the previous parshia, the one that leads right into all this. Was, we started with chapter 11, verse 10, didn't we? Kiharet. But this is part of a long-going conversation between Moshe Rabbeinu and the people. What's the previous parashiyah? Where did it begin? The previous section, the previous paragraph. Where did it begin? It's in chapter 10. First what? First 12. You see it? 10-12. Which is the, 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 the question of all questions of Chumash. Which is the, the... I want to show you what we're going to read now. is the source of Atav Akartano, Which is the opening of our davening. Everyone see Pasey Kedvet? It's a famous one. It's an easy question. What's the question? How's it been? Who wants to read it for me? Read it, um, Rose. Get it. What's, what, what's that mean? Now we throw it. What's God want from you? Easy question. Okay. Now we get a shopping list. What do you have to do? Love God, fear God, easier said than done. By the way, to fear God we know. What's it? That's to emulate God. That's to keep his laws. And to what else? What's it And To love him, right? Continue. And to keep his laws. Your attitude, your behavior, and keeping the laws. Keep going. Okay. We're start, hey, means we're starting something. We're about to start like a Kabbalah Homer. We're making a statement. What does God have? God has everything. God has heavens. Basically, God doesn't need you. But, Rock? Rock. What's that? What word? We have bacharta, don't we? Ahafta, what's, instead of ratzita, it's the You know what cheshek is? Cheshek, you're a cheshek. That's ratzita banu. This is explaining not why we were chosen, but why we were chosen. Correct? Why did God choose us over any other nation? Out of love. He wanted us. Now, there's a reason why we fell in love, because of Abram's behavior. That's what the medrash fills in. But it's, My opening line of of Shemun Esri, Musaf, Ahavachetanumikolamim, ahavta's in ratzita banu, It's right here, isn't it? Look at the next line. Don't harden your heart. That's why we left God the last time. Therefore, we have to circumcise our hearts. The idea behind it? That's already. That's already. it's the first part of Shmonas, isn't it? That's the praise. That's how God great is. Now I should have mentioned. We had atabatamikol hamim after the recitation of Bano. From the recitation of we had there also, but stayed there. We said um byefcharbasaram mikol hamim. Remember? Atabatamikol hamim. Every word is right here. You see it? Hamim. What else is there? Um the recitation of Bano, from the recitation of Asheranu, we have Do we have that here? Where do we have mitzvot? That was the previous pasuk, wasn't it? To follow God, okay. What Pasuk was that? We have something about serving God? That's pasig you bet right away. Okay. And then there's a the whole theme of from Brashit in earlier in Tvarim as well. Got the idea? What I'm trying to get at is all the words from Matabakartano are built on on this section of the Tavarim, which leads right into the theme of rain. And the land of Israel, and that whole theme of God, God controlling our outcome, and the agricultural season. And what's special about the land, you know, is God picked, one of the reasons God picked the land, it's a land that needs needs rain, and it's a land that needs God who's in charge of the rain. And it goes back to an earlier story in Chumash, now you'll appreciate a really neat Rashi. Um, take a look at the, um, in Gan Eden, chapter 2, in Sefer Bereshit, the very beginning. Chapter 2, verse 4, in Gan Eden, right in the beginning of Chumash. Then we'll put everything together. There's a famous story there of, um, who was it? Gan Eden, you remember the story. It starts in Pasik chapter 2. That's right, what page is it? Page 5, 6, 3, even better. Okay. There's the second story of the creation. These are the Todot Haaretz the day they were created. And look at, look at verse 5. Nothing's growing, right? Nothing's growing yet. Why is nothing growing? Two things are missing. What's missing? There's no matar and no man to work the field. There's a lot of places where things grow beautiful, lots of vegetation and no man. You always need water. You need rain. You need water. But you don't need man. The is you don't need man. So what's Chumash talking about? Rashi was bothered by that. Remember, remember what Rashi says here? We don't need man to work the field. What do you need man? Rashi says, you need man to pray for rain, and to recognize the hand of God behind the rain. Now, That's not Peshat of the Peshat, that's Peshat of Chumash. It's classic Rashi, you follow? Klami in, Chazal. Rashi, in the Ganeiden story already, is a motif, which is going to explain later on in Chumash, because what replaces Ganeiden later will be the land of Israel. And therefore, what, what he's getting at, there's a connection here between Matar, which is something from heaven, precipitating, coming down to earth, and man, who takes earth, and read it back to heaven. The only two things that connect heaven and earth, which are divided by the raqia in creation, is Matar coming down and Adam coming up. And that's the theme of what you see happening here in Rosh Hashanah. So let me summarize what I try to show you. If I want to understand from chumash, what's this holiday? What's the holiday of Rosh Hashanah? There's something special about the seventh month. There's no doubt about it. There's a big theme of the seventh month. And it relates to, and what I try to explain, it's not by chance the seventh month it relates to the agricultural time of the year like all the other holidays in Parshat Amor. And what are we doing? Even though we're, we need to thank God for what we received, we also have to worry about the year to come. Uh, where do you see this in davening? Sukkot is, on the one hand, because we thank God for our harvest, but it's also part of Chageti Shre. And therefore, if you know your sacrifices, all the sacrifices on Sukkot are doubled. Instead of one aisle, we have two islein. Instead of seven Kwasim we bring 14. And the parim, we have 70 altogether. Remember? All the nations? Everything's doubled because Sukkot has a double identity. On the one hand, we're thanking God for last year, Let's open up. we're also worried it's part of the Tishrei holidays looking forward. What special prayer do we add on Sukkot? At, at the end of Sukkot and during Sukkot? Hoshanot. Remember Hoshanot? Pay attention one time about Hoshanot. are about. Just open up Hoshanarabah. It's all about rain. Decline God on Yom Kippur, What's he pray for? Look at your master. He prays for rain. If, if you live in the land of Israel, it's not a Kiddush, it's, it's in biblical times, it's crystal clear why the seventh month is a big deal. Because your life is on the line. Now, if you're not living in the land, you're not r- familiar with that agricultural setting and the need for rain at that time of the year, so it's the seventh month. But if you understand the setting, I, I appreciate why God picks this theme of the seventh month. Because nature is determining the outcome of the year. And what do we come in declaring? The outcome of the year and our future is in the hand of God. And we do it a month ahead of time in anticipation of it. Not six months, but again, like the weather forecast, right in the, right in the window of when you need, of when the weather's determined. And that's why the outcome of the year will be based on that rain and the need for rain. With um, with one last theme in Chumash which puts it all together. Uh, there's, um, there's one big rainfall, big flood, not from a couple of weeks ago, but from Chumash, there's a famous story about that in Chumas as well. The flood, right? How long does it rain for? 40 days, 40 days and 40 nights. What else is 40 days and 40 nights? Matan Torah. And Moshe going up and the whole idea. Remember Moshe Rabbeinu with the Teva? That's a whole sheer, but it's clear the, the, the flood story is a foil to get you ready to appreciate what happens in, 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 at Harsinai. So I tried to show you today is that um, there's a lot of things. I try to show you the sources of what we say in the opening. to understand the theme of Machiot, which goes two ways. One is declaring the God's king for other nations to hear that, but also for us to remember, not that he exists and that he is king, not knowing, not just a uh, statement of faith, but a pledge of allegiance. And that understanding that you were chosen not to receive from God, but to represent God, once that's understood, it's not just what you say in Dovering, it's the effect that Daphne will have on you, what you take upon yourself for the year to come, which is exactly what we find in Chazal, about a time of, of, uh, of repentance, of introspection, and the fate of the years dependent on that 100% right. But when you see where its sources are coming from, you can appreciate where those ideas are coming from. Anyone who have a Shana Tova, they